The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To the book of Leviticus, to Leviticus chapter 9. We continue to make our way to the book of Leviticus as a church together. We are in Leviticus 9 and we are considering the entire chapter this morning. Leviticus chapter 9, let's now give our attention as God speaks to us in His holy and inspired word. On the eighth day, Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. And he said to Aaron, take for yourself a bull calf for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering, both without blemish, and offer them before the Lord. And say to the people of Israel, take a male goat for a sin offering and a calf and a lamb, both a year old without blemish for a burnt offering, and an ox and a ram for peace offerings to sacrifice before the Lord, and a grain offering mixed with oil. For today the Lord will appear to you. And they brought Moses, and they brought what Moses commanded in front of the tent of meeting, and all the congregation drew near and stood before the Lord. And Moses said, This is the thing that the Lord commanded you to do, that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. Then Moses said to Aaron, draw near to the altar and offer your sin offering and your burnt offering and make atonement for yourself and for the people and bring the offering of the people and make atonement for them as the Lord has commanded. So Aaron drew near to the altar and killed the calf of the sin offering, which was for himself. And the sons of Aaron presented the blood to him. And he dipped his finger in the blood and put it on the horns of the altar and poured out the blood at the base of the altar. But the fat and the kidneys and the long lobe of the liver from the sin offering he burned on the altar as the Lord commanded Moses. The flesh and the skin he burned up with fire outside the camp. Then he killed the burnt offering and Aaron's sons handed him the blood, and he threw it against the sides of the altar, and they handed the burnt offering to him, piece by piece, and the head, and he burned them on the altar. And he washed the entrails and the legs and burned them with the burnt offering on the altar. Then he presented the people's offering and took the goat of the sin offering that was for the people and killed it and offered it as a sin offering like the first one. And he presented the burnt offering and offered it according to the rule. And he presented the grain offering, took a handful of it, and burned it on the altar besides the burnt offering on the morning or of the morning. Then he killed the ox and the ram, the sacrifice of peace offerings for the people, and Aaron's sons handed him the blood and he threw it against the sides of the altar. But the fat pieces of the ox and of the ram, the fat tail, and that which covers the entrails and the kidneys and the long lobe of the liver, they put the fat pieces on the breast, and he burned the fat pieces on the altar. But the breast and the right thigh Aaron waved for a wave offering before the Lord as Moses commanded. 
Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Well, this concludes the reading of God's holy and inspired word. May God now be pleased to add his blessing to it. Well, I want you to think for a moment with me just how important acceptance is to us. Now, acceptance means to be approved of. It means to be received. It means to be welcomed, to have favor shown to you. And while it can be an idolatrous desire and often is in our day, it is also a natural desire. We were made for communion with God and for communion with one another. In fact, the first time God ever uttered the words, it is not good, was when man was alone. And at the heart of this communion is being accepted, being received, being welcomed. You really do not have communion if you do not have acceptance. You can be surrounded by people. You can have family, friends, a community, and still feel rather alone. And the reason for that is not merely because communion is being in the presence of others, but rather having this acceptance, this connection, this fellowship, this welcome one with another. In fact, if you don't have that, this is what makes relationships rather fake. I'm there with you, but it's superficial. Now, the opposite of acceptance is greatly feared, and the opposite of acceptance is rejection. We can be so afraid of this that this causes us to forsake doing the right thing for fear of being rejected, not accepted by others, not received or approved of. It could cause us to be people pleasers where we don't want to let somebody down. We want them to think well of us. We want their acceptance because we've placed our hope and identity in their approval of us. And this can cause us to really care about what people think. What's this person going to think of me? Why do I care so much? Because I'm afraid of rejection. I'm afraid of being judged. I'm afraid of not being accepted. And this can lead us to be devastated if we are not approved of by others. It can lead us to just want to avoid conflict. It can lead us to just even want to withdraw and avoid people at all because I don't want to face rejection. I'm keeping my guard up. Now, I think what makes this or how this is seen as a big deal most clearly is with hell. Hell is not just merely physical torment. Hell is being a reject and outcast forever. You're cast out of the presence of God forever. You have no communion, no welcome forever and ever. And meanwhile, those in heaven get to experience the fullest welcome and communion there can be with God 
and with one another. But because of the fall into sin, acceptance and welcome has been broken and rejection has replaced it. Ever since the fall, man has been outcast and rejects by nature, cast out of the presence of God, not welcomed into the presence of God. And this has caused us to have a heightened sensitivity to being rejected and and trying to find acceptance somewhere, trying to find justification, that word that says to us, you are accepted. And to the degree that we are assured that we have it with God is the degree to which we won't seek it in others. In fact, when we rest in God's acceptance of us, then we can actually love others. Even when they reject us, we can offer them our welcome and our acceptance, even when they don't reciprocate it. In fact, when we do things for others, it's out of a genuine love rather than out of, I just want you to accept me and approve of me. I'm doing this good work so you can see and accept me. But when we rely on that with God, if we do not first and ultimately find our acceptance with God, then we will idolatrously try to find it in man. So how can we be certain? How can we have assurance of God's acceptance with us? Especially when we are sinners and we sin daily and we know that sin by our sin we should be rejected by God. Well, this is where our passage helps us today. Our passage is giving us assurance. We see three assurances from God that we are fully accepted by Him. First, God's provision. Second, God's blessing for the benediction. And then third, God's visible glory. So first, God's provision. And this pertains to the sacrifice. God is the one who provides. This is the means by which sinners are reconciled to him. If God is the one who provides the means, then certainly he will accept those means. Why would God say, this is the means through which you are reconciled to me and by which you are accepted by me, only to reject those means? Certainly, he will receive the means that he says will bring reconciliation. And we indeed see that in our passage here. Now, in chapter 8, we saw Aaron's ordination and consecration as priest. Uh, He was consecrated, that is set apart to serve as priest for seven days. Those seven days are now up. And we arrive to the eighth day, that is the day after his seven-day ordination to begin chapter 9. So he is ready to serve as priest and offer up sacrifices for the people of God. However, God requires another round of sacrifices to start off with. Aaron is to offer up two distinct sacrifices for himself and four distinct sacrifices for the people of Israel. The sacrifices that Aaron is to offer up for himself are in verse 2. And they are a sin offering or a purification offering. See that in chapter 4 of Leviticus and a burnt offering, which was stated in chapter 1. Now, if you remember, the sin or purification offering is offered up in light of a particular sin that you have committed that you need to confess and repent of. 
And the particular sin or purification offering in Leviticus 9 suggests something of Aaron's past that needs to be covered. Verse 2 says that Aaron is to offer up a bull calf. Now, if you read Leviticus 4, what the high priest is to offer up as a purification offering is a adult bull. But here it says calf. There's something different. And I think commentators are right when they tie this to that golden calf incident where Aaron made a golden calf and led the people in worship uh, to it. And the purification or sin offering here is being offered up so that that doesn't count against him. Have you ever played a game where you wish a turn didn't count? By that reaction, I, I, I sense yes. So you're bowling, you're just bowling this wonderful game. And then in the seventh frame, you throw this terrible ball. You're like, oh, I wish that didn't count. Or you roll the, the, the dice, and it's a terrible roll. And you're like, can, can that just not count? Can, we, can I do that over? Maybe you spin a wheel and you lose a turn or something like that. And you wish that didn't count and you could have that turn over again. Well, this is the way we can tend to think when it comes to our sin. We fall into sin. We struggle with the same old sin. We commit a sin. And we wish that that didn't count. And sometimes the way we deal with it is by just ignoring the fact that that even happened. We pretend as it doesn't ex didn't exist. We blame shift. We, we just kind of skirt by without repenting. But we say to ourselves, I wish I can take that back. I, I wish I can do that over. I really wish that didn't count. And here's the good news. For Christians... That sin did not count. In fact, none of our sins ever count. Paul declares in Romans 4, 7-8, through 8, quoting Psalm 32, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Our sins, none of them whatsoever, ever count against us. When we fall into sin, when we commit a sin, anytime we sin, it does not count. And the reason for that is because it was counted against the sacrifice. And this is what we see going on with Aaron's sin offering. The golden calf Aaron made and led the people to worship, likely something that he wishes he could take back and never did, does not count against him as represented by the bull calf being slaughtered in his place. And this is the way it is for us when it comes to our sins. 
Uh, Christ's one sacrifice takes away all our sins. All these various sacrifices, all the many sacrifices that they had to offer, are simply bringing out all the different aspects of Christ's one sacrifice that takes away all our sins. Even our specific and particular sins that we wish we never did. Those don't count because they were counted against Christ. Even the sins that we are not aware of. As David prays, acquit me of my hidden faults. All those sins are covered by the sacrifice of Christ. And we also see this with the ram offering that Aaron offered up as a burnt offering. If you remember, a ram is what Abraham offered up in the stead of his son. It was called the sacrifice of son. But instead of his son dying, God provides a ram. A ram that is wearing a crown of thorns, just so happens. No, no connection at all to, to Christ. But that ram dies in the place of of Isaac. Isaac is spared because of that ram offering. And this ram offering that Aaron offers up very well could be reflecting back to that. That Aaron is spared because of the sacrifice, which of course points us to Christ. We are spared from dying in our sins. We are spared from dying eternally because Christ took that for us on the cross, so that we would be forever spared. But it's not as if we then get a do-over once our sins aren't counted against us. You know, in the example of the game I gave you, if a turn didn't count, it would be so that you can have another turn, so I can try again, so I can hopefully do better this next time, right? Well, that is not the way... It is when it comes to our sin. Now, we can think this way when it comes to our sin. We may not say this out loud, but we can functionally act as if God erases our sin in order to give us another chance. In order to to give us a do-over so we can do better next time. I remember hearing uh, Rick Warren, the very famous evangelical pastor there in Southern California. He wrote a very popular book called The The Purpose Driven Life. Remember. long time ago, attending one of his services. And he said from the pulpit, Christ came to give us a do-over. That is, he wiped the slate clean, nothing counted up to that point, so that you can have another turn, so to speak. So that you have a chance for you to do better. But not only does God not count our sins against us, He also counts the perfect righteousness of Christ to us. We don't have our sins not counted against us so that we can start over again. So that now it's it's up to us so we can try again so we can have a better turn and hope we do better next go around. As if God removes the sin, but it's up to us to provide the righteousness. As if God wipes it clean, but we need to keep it clean. But if that was the case, it would look like a house after being cleaned with several children in it. Get dirty right away. 
But God doesn't wipe the slate clean or clean up and say, now you need to keep it clean if you want to be accepted. Rather, we have the perfect, clean righteousness of Christ counted as our own. So, God not only provides the atonement for sin, but also the righteousness we need to stand before Him. And we get hints of this here in Leviticus. In that not only do we read in verses 8 and 9 that the blood of the sacrifice was shed and applied to the altar, we also see this in verses 12 through 13. We also read in verse 10 that the sacrifice gave its best on behalf of Aaron. It gave its kidneys, liver, and fat. And as I have already mentioned a few times already, for the Hebrews, the, the kidneys and the liver and the fat is giving to the Lord your best. When they would speak about giving to the Lord their best, their, their inner devotion, they would talk about the kidneys. It's the same as when we say, Lord, I give you my heart. But the way the Hebrews would say it is, Lord, I give you my kidneys, I give you my liver, I give you my fat. It's this way of saying, I give you my true inner devotion, my best. And in our culture, oftentimes we are told to surrender ourselves. Give your life to the Lord if you want to be accepted. Surrender more. Surrender more of your best in order to be accepted. But we see here, this is what the sacrifice does. The sacrifice gives its life. The sacrifice gives its best for our acceptance. Are we to give our Lord our best? Yes. But is what we have to give Him really meet His standard? No. That's why we depend upon the sacrifice to give its heart, to give its kidneys, its whole inner devotion. And this points us to Christ who has done this in our place by shedding His own blood and also giving the Lord His best. Giving the Lord His whole heart as our righteousness. So Christ is not only our sin bearer, Christ is also our perfect law keeper. He not only dies to pay for our sins so that none of our sins ever count against us, but He also offers up the perfect righteousness so that that counts as ours. What counts before God as it pertains to us is not our sin, but the perfect obedience of Christ. That is what we get credit for. So God's provision covers all our sins. It provides all the righteousness we need to stand before Him, holy and blameless and above reproach forever. And then Aaron offers up the required sacrifices on behalf of the people. He's commanded to offer up four of the five sacrifices that have been commanded in Leviticus, all except the reparation offering, and, uh, which is touched on in Leviticus 5:14 through 6:7. And this is probably because there was not a sacrilege, sacrilege, uh, sacri how do you say it? Sacrilege. It's really terrible when suddenly you can't say a word when you're standing before a bunch of people. It's not fun. When a sacrilege committed had not yet been committed, uh, if you remember, uh, this was this was in light. This reparation offering was offered up in light of that. 
And so because one had not yet been committed, four or the five offerings are offered here. But the reason Aaron is to offer these up is because both verse 4 and verse 6 say that the Lord will appear. You need to offer up sacrifices so that I may appear. And here what we see is that these sacrifices protect God's people from God himself. When we ask the question, what are we saved from? What does Christ save us from? The answer is, we are saved from God. He is the judge of the universe to whom all must give an account. And it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But the sacrifice is what saves us from falling into the hands of the living God. The sacrifice falls into the hands of the living God for us. And so Christ does not rescue us ultimately from a purposeless life, even though He does give us purpose. Christ does not rescue us from a lack of self-esteem or not feeling good about ourselves. In our thoroughly therapeutic culture, Christianity can be viewed this way as it's just a way to have the most meaningful life. But the danger we are in is not ultimately an unfulfilled life. The danger we are in from which we must be rescued is the wrath of a holy God who is eternally angry at sin. It is His holy presence showing up before sinners. But thanks be to God that He has provided for us. He has provided the means to be saved from His wrath. Aaron offering up these sacrifices, as we see in verses 15-21, through point to God providing a great high priest who offers up the required sacrifice to save us from a holy God. So we have assurance of acceptance with God because God is the one who makes the provision on our behalf. A second assurance from God that we are fully accepted by Him is God's blessing or the benediction. Verse 22 Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them, and he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. So after Aaron had offered sacrifices, he stood before the people and he raised his hands toward the people and blessed them. And what this is, is the benediction or the blessing. I see those two as synonymous. This is communicating through the minister raising his hands that God is blessing his people. This represents uh, the laying on of hands. Uh, Some of you have seen an ordination service where uh, the one being ordained to an office, uh, elder or deacon, has hands laid on him. This is conveying that the Lord is conferring something on this person through uh, the hands of his ministers. Well, that's the same thing with the hands lifted up. Because the minister only has two hands, and 
I don't know of any minister that has more than two hands. Dumb joke, sorry. Dad joke. Or, uh, and because there are many people, rather than just going around and laying hands on everybody, he lifts his hands towards the people. And what this is conveying is that the Lord is conferring his blessing on all his people. And this is what Aaron is doing here in light of the sacrifice that has just been offered. Because the sacrifice is accepted by God, God confers his blessing on his people. That they are in his blessing. That they are in his favor. That they are accepted by him. Because the sacrifice is accepted by God, God confers the blessing on his people. And this is why it only happens after the sacrifice is offered up. Aaron does not do this once he examines everyone's obedience. And says, okay, people, you have been pretty good. And so now I will bless you. Or, okay, only you who have been good, you stand over here. And you who haven't been so good, you, you get over there. It's not based on the people's obedience. Rather, it is based on the sacrifice, the acceptability of the sacrifice that has been offered. And that is why Aaron lifts up his hands and blesses the people only after the sacrifice has been offered. It has reference to the acceptability of the sacrifice alone. And we also see Christ doing this after he offered up himself as the perfect sacrifice and was raised from the dead, which confirms that God has received his sacrifice for our sins. In Luke 24:50, it says that Jesus lifted up his hands and blessed his people before ascending into heaven. Just like the Levitical high priest lifted up his hands and blessed his people after offering up the sacrifice. So Christ, our great and true high priest, lifts up his hands and blesses his people after offering up his sacrifice. Now this blessing is more than just well-wishing or giving us warm fuzzies. The benediction is God blessing us with His presence, with His very name. We see this in number 6 where the ironic blessing is declared. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. So this blessing is the blessing of God's presence. Stated figuratively as God making His face to shine upon us. Now obviously God does not have a literal face. He doesn't have a body like men. And neither does it literally shine like something like a glow in the, the dark doll or something like that. Rather, this is referring to the sense of God's favorable presence with His people in the same way that the warmth of the sun gives us a level of comfort. The same way that the warmth of the sun makes us feel when it shines upon us. Knowing that He is with us in a favorable way. That He is for us. That He loves us. That He has accepted us because of the sacrifice that He has provided before. His presence was a terror. Because of our sin. 
it would have been bad news for us. His face was against us, the Scriptures say. But because of the sacrifice, now His face is no longer against us. In fact, it is towards us and it shines towards us. And this, of course, brings about a happy countenance and peace. We also read in the first half of verse 23, And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting, and when they came out, they blessed the people. It's significant that they were able to enter. Remember the end of Exodus. It says Moses was not able to enter because of the presence of God filling the tabernacle. But here, after the high priest offered up the sacrifice, Moses is able to enter. How does one enter into the presence of God? It's only through the high priest offering up the sacrifice that God accepts. And that is why we are able to enter. And the presence of God did not strike them dead. They were able to go in and then come out again, which is a visible declaration that God has accepted the sacrifice on their behalf. Therefore, the people of God received the blessing through God's appointed minister, raising his hands to give assurance that the sacrifice for their sins has been accepted and God welcomes them and accepts them. And this is the way it is today. At the end of each service, we still have this benediction. Through God's appointed ministers, appointed by the church of God, the blessing is conferred on the people. At the end of the service, it's not just the minister giving one final stir or call. Rather, it is God Himself, through the minister, blessing His people as indicated by the lifted hands towards his people. It's not because the minister functions as a priest or that he just got done offering up a sacrifice. Rather, this is based on the once and for all sacrifice that Christ has offered up by which we are eternally accepted. God's face always and forever shines upon us because of that one sacrifice. And so... This blessing is declared Lord's Day upon Lord's Day. I mean, if a blessing could be declared based on an animal sacrifice, how much more the sacrifice of Christ? Because of that sacrifice, God's face always shines forever on His people who have leaned on that sacrifice for the forgiveness of their sins. So every time we leave His presence, we leave knowing that He is with us, that He favors us, that we have peace with Him through the sacrifice of Christ, that your Father accepts you. Your Father in Heaven accepts you. And this is also God putting His name upon us. In number 6, after God tells Aaron, to declare the benediction on his people. God says that this is him putting his name on his people. Now, what does this mean? Uh, does this mean that we all walk out with 
the letters G-O-D or something shining on our head or that God's putting a, a label on us. Well, obviously that's not the case. Rather, what this is, to use our vernacular, is God giving us our identity. When God declares His blessing to us, He is saying, You are my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. You are no longer a stranger. You are no longer condemned. You are no longer condemned and not welcomed into my presence as a stranger. But you are a justified, adopted child, part of my family. And so like a wife who receives the surname of her husband or an adopted child who receives the surname of his or her family, so God declares to us we are part of His family. He is giving us our identity that we, as His adopted children, share in His name. That we are part of His family. Therefore, His face is not against us but is shining brightly towards us. And how practical is this? Well, we as God's people, we go out into a hostile, sin-cursed world that rejects us and that hates us. The world is not our home. The world hates us and rejects us, but we belong to God and we are assured of His acceptance belonging to His family. We do not need to try to find acceptance in an identity among a group of friends, peers, in the work that we do that makes us feel valuable, or in some cause that makes us feel worthy. We do not find our identity or worth or value in anything other than the name of God, in His acceptance, in His welcome, based on the sacrifice of Christ. Maybe some of you have been rejected by loved ones. Treated as outcasts. Rejected by a community. Maybe you have been sinned against, even egregiously making you feel filthy and unclean and in a dark place. Well, what helps is to remember your name that you have received from God, your true identity. You are not filthy and unclean and a reject based on what you do or based on what others have done to you. Rather, you are beloved, you are clean, you are washed, you are accepted, you are welcomed, you are valuable, you are covered in the radiant and beautiful robes of Christ. That is what this benediction confers to you. So we believe and receive our true identity. This even has practical ramifications for our marriages. The benediction is practical for your marriage. The the wife wants to be loved, pursued, known, and understood by her husband. And she feels rejected when he does not do this. And while this is a good desire, yet since the fall, this has become an idolatrous desire. God declared this in Genesis 3 when he said to the woman, your desire will be for your husband. 
uh, since this is spoken in the context of the curse, this is a negative desire. It's an idolatrous desire. Among other things, she will place her hope in him for acceptance, belonging, finding her identity and love from him. She will place her hope in him for this. But the husband, it says, will rule over her. Uh, one, in an, one end of the spectrum, he's going to make decisions, go through the motions without considering her. On the other end of the spectrum, he's going to have an idolatrous desire for respect in order to cover his own insecurities. If he has not shown this, he will either lash out or be withdrawn, even in order to protect himself from being rejected. And the way, or at least one of the ways this is dealt with, is through the benediction. We find our acceptance and belonging, ultimately, in God. It is knowing that your identity and hope is not based on how well your spouse or anyone loves you, but based on how God alone has loved you and welcomed you. Our hope is not in the flawed and fluctuating love of our spouse or any man. Our hope is in the steadfast, immovable, unchangeable love of the Lord. And how we are assured of that love and welcome and acceptance by our Father is with the, when the minister raises his hands and blesses the people at the end of the service. So the benediction or blessing from God gives us assurance of his love and acceptance of all of us. The third and final assurance from God that we are fully accepted by him, and briefly, is God's visible glory. After the sacrifice is offered and accepted, we read at the end of verse 23 and of verse 24, And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people, and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. So in an awesome and terrifying display of glory, Fire suddenly comes out from the presence of the Lord. This, is, this would have been like an explosion suddenly going off. The people fell on their faces and shouted at such a fearful sight. But this not only showed that our God is a consuming fire, a God to be feared, a God of great glory and majesty, but also that He had received the sacrifice offered up on their behalf by the high priest. That fire did not go past that sacrifice to the people and consume them. Rather, that sacrifice stood and took all the consuming wrath of God, which points to our great high priest who took the fiery wrath of God for us so that we are forever safe. And God has given us assurance of this in another visible manifestation of glory in the new covenant. And that is the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was raised from the dead and appeared to many witnesses who have testified to seeing the risen Lord and recorded for us in the Scriptures. This should be the clearest proof of our acceptance that Jesus is no longer under the sentence of death because He has paid that penalty in full and therefore has been raised from the dead. If God did not accept Jesus' offering on our behalf, He would have certainly never honored Him the way He did 
in raising him from the dead, seating him at his right hand, and giving him glory. And this is why Peter says in 1 Peter 1.21, God raised Jesus from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. We hope and trust in him because he has been raised from the dead and has received glory, meaning that God has accepted his sacrifice on our behalf. And so the resurrection is great assurance of our acceptance. I think there even might be a connection with the eighth day here in Leviticus, where the visible manifestation of God's glory occurred on the eighth day, and this corresponds to Jesus being raised on the first day of the week, sometimes called the eighth day, the day after the seventh day. The seventh day. But certainly it's the resurrection that gives us great assurance that God has accepted us. So how can we have great assurance of God's acceptance and love for us? Well, when we feel the filth of our sin or plagued with our guilt from ongoing failure to measure up, struggle with besetting sin, fall into sin, and wonder if we are accepted by God. We can have assurance of His acceptance. Not because we've cleaned ourselves up enough. Not because... We are going to do better after having another turn, having another do-over, having another chance, getting our act together enough before Christ comes back. While we do need to repent and demonstrate fruit of repentance, yet our acceptance is not based on this. It is based on that sacrifice of Christ. And so, when the minister raises his hands at the end of the service, and declares the benediction from God's Word, know that it's God Himself declaring that you who have leaned on that sacrifice are accepted by Him because of the resurrection and glory given to Christ, testifying to the fact that God has received His work in our behalf and therefore has fully, freely, and forever accepted all those who have placed their trust in Him. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are so grateful for the work of Christ. We're thankful that you have made that provision. We're thankful that uh, you bless us at the end of each service, having your face shine upon us, giving us our name, uh, giving us our identity over and over again because we forget. May that be greater reality in our hearts than any sin we have, any sin done to us. And also because Christ, our great high priest, has been raised from the dead, seated at your right hand, given glory, meaning his sacrifice for our sins is acceptable in your sight, and that is the basis for our acceptance. So may you give us the faith to believe these things, causing our hearts to rejoice, causing us to lean fully on Christ and all that He is for us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.